everyone, welcome back to another episode of Let's Get Candid. This is a podcast where we dive into the ups and downs of life. Today I am joined by John Ahn and Joseph Kim. Hello guys. What's up, what's up? Hey, hey guys. So thanks guys for listening in. Thank you to our two guests. This is actually the first episode that we're recording with two guests. And John and Joseph and I, we're friends from a while ago. At least I met the two of them a few years ago at a retreat called Father's Heart. Today we're going to be talking about pastoring and seminary. I'm just going to have them open up with a little bit about their lives. And yeah, how are you? How are you guys doing? Hey guys, uh, I'll put names to the voices for you guys. So uh, my name is John and John on and I am currently pastoring down here at a smaller church plant called Hambam Burlington Church and it's about an hour west of Raleigh down here in North Carolina so we're located in kind of the Burlington Graham area and I've been here for about a year and a half I'm currently the youth and EM pastor right now and this is where I've been uh, and this is where I love to be yeah uh hi guys my name is Joseph currently I'm a student at Reform Theological Seminary and I am a pastoral intern at Rosebrook Presbyterian Church uh, under the leadership of Pastor Moses Lee. That's where I am right now, and I'm just uh, starting my ministry work, so uh, a lot of it is new experience, and also a lot of it is learning and growing, making a lot of mistakes for me at the moment, so yeah. Cool. Thanks, guys. So yeah, we're just going to dive into this topic of seminary and pastoring. I know the two of you are at your current roles as pastors and as students, um, but you guys also have very different paths in terms of like how you guys got to this point in your life. So um, John, I know I've known you for a while and I've known that you wanted to be a pastor for what seems like as long as I've known you and even longer, obviously. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you came to that decision, how you knew that you wanted to be a pastor? Yeah, so uh, I kind of, I think it just start at the beginning. So I grew up going to church and I grew up as a pastor's kid. So my dad's a pastor. I was baptized when I was younger. I, I thought that I had given my life to Christ. But sometime around in high school, I kind of got to the point where I was tired of going to church on Sundays. I was tired of... Uh, the faith and the restrictions, quote unquote, I guess you can't see me doing air quotes because we're a podcast, but uh, of the quote unquote restrictions on my life that I thought the church and the faith were putting. Uh, so I decided to just stop going to church. And I told my parents that I don't want to be Christian anymore. I decided to rebel against Christ. When I was in high school, in the later years of my high school, uh, I went out to retreat, Father's Heart actually, and it was there that I heard a message uh, about pastor's kids from Pastor Bobby Saw, also a famous speaker in the DMV area. Shout out to uh, CCPC. <laughs> but uh, I, I heard a message from him and it really opened my eyes to how selfish I've been living. Uh, and it was there in that moment that it was really made clear to me. Uh, I had already spent my life. I had already thrown my life away because I had decided to run away from Christ. He didn't have to save me, but he did. Uh, and since he did from that point on, uh, it was very straightforward. I heard he spent my life. So since he purchased it back, this life, my life was now effectively his. The next step was very clear. It was to uh, go into seminary. It was to give my life to him as, as a pastor, uh, to go into ministry, to give my life to him in this way. Uh, and that's just kind of what was put on my heart, I guess, as uh, the most clearest and the best way 
to live for God, you know, like how would I live for Christ in this life that he had purchased from me? It would be to uh, go minister to his people and to uh, be a shepherd under him for the rest of my life. That's good. I come from a family where we were very Christians. My grandfather was a head pastor of a big church in Korea. My family, my parents, like we are all deacons, deaconesses, elders. Like my mom was a organist, pianist, so she served the church that way. So I was already pretty inundated with the Christian life. I remember just growing up, I didn't want to be any part of it because at home, I see Christianity and I go to church pretty frequently too. So the last thing I wanted to be was a pastor. So I I just remember as soon as I got out of high school and went to college, uh, I just wanted to do my own thing. And being a pastor was, a, again, like something I really didn't consider. So long story short, I, I remember I went to Virginia Tech and I was there for about a year. Uh, and that was a really hard time for me. And so I took a year break. And after a year break, I transferred to George Mason. And that's where I met John Ahn. And I studied as a system engineer, working in a corporate life for about a year. Uh, it was around that time when I really considered going into seminary. And I talked to a lot of people, talked to a lot of pastors, and definitely talked to my parents about this too. And I think the desire to be a pastor really started to be seriously considered when I was doing ministry, uh, kind of like a like campus student ministry. And I realized I really loved preaching God's word, even though I remember I was very ill-equipped to to like preach but i just remember i love sharing the gospel i realized like you know that's what you do when you become a pastor you preach the gospel not just to church members but to like people who are not accustomed or who don't know what it is so that was my desire that's why i when after i worked i really desired to just pursue that and seriously just start taking steps to uh, become one so yeah that's awesome. I feel like both your stories, your paths are really relatable for people who grow up in a church. I feel like there's always, you know, highs and lows. There's times where you're on fire, other times where like, I just, I'm sick and tired of this. Um, but then I feel like the more that you serve, the more that you are surrounded by godly people, whether that's like your family or like your church community, I think the more joy and the more like eagerness you have to continue sharing a gospel and watching other people grow. I think that's one reason why I still serve in some capacity because as tiring as it is, especially with the pandemic, it's like watching other people serve and grow in their faith just brings so much joy. So sure. thanks for sharing guys. Sure. Um, Thank you. I have like a follow-up question to that because I'm obviously not very familiar with, you know, Joseph, you're talking about taking the steps and John, you were too, like taking steps to go into full-time ministry. One question I've always had is like, is seminary like required for people to go through in order to be a pastor? And I guess to give context of why I'm asking this. So I know a few pastors who have like studied the word, studied the ancient languages on their own, and then gone on to pastor churches. And um, my dad also is in seminary, but he has like no intention on being a pastor. He's just taking classes to learn more. And he's been taking classes at Dallas Theological Seminary for 
couple years now, but I just don't, not really familiar with, you know, is seminary required to be a pastor? Mm. Shout out to uh, Crystal's dad because taking seminary <laughs> classes is awesome. And <laughs> he's young, so that's awesome. Uh, Joseph, I don't know. I, I can field it. You can field it. What do you want to do? Why don't you take a stab at it, bro? Sure, sure. Do you need to go to seminary to be a pastor? Uh, seminary didn't exist back when the early church started, right? So, you know, Jesus didn't go to seminary. Peter uh, didn't go to seminary. Paul didn't go to seminary. James and John didn't go to seminary. Uh, but I think the bottom line is you don't need to go to seminary to be a pastor. Uh, but I think the most obvious question to me, if you're asking this question and wanting to go into ministry, that would come to mind is, if you love God's people and if you love God and there is an opportunity to go to seminary and to learn more, learn how to preach the word more faithfully, like Joseph said, uh, learn how to discipline yourself and to examine yourself uh, for sin, for holiness, and to dedicate yourself to Christ. Uh, just be around older believers who have thought more than you, who probably know more than you, who would probably love Jesus more than you. Uh, then why not? My question would be, why not go to seminary? I guess just also attaching onto that about what you talked about your dad, uh, I think it's awesome. And no, you, like seminary is not only for people who are seeking to go become pastors or to enter ministry. Uh, seminary is a really, really amazing place where you can take just a class or two uh, and learn more about maybe a theological truth that you're interested in. Like, hey, what is the church? Or what is the modern church? Or what are some of the problems that we faced in ethics in the past? And how can we better resolve them today? It's a wonderful place for kind of more mature Christians or even Christians who are just starting out who have a lot of questions. Uh, I know one of my pastor mentors, uh, he got tired of receiving questions from somebody over and over and over. And he said, look, you just need to go to seminary because that's where they uh, they'll answer all these questions. That's where people like you go. That's my attempt at it. Joseph, anything that you would add? Yeah, that, was, that was good. John answered this question in one perspective, I guess in a different different way to look at it. If you have like an attitude, a posture of saying, I want to be a pastor uh, and I'm determined to go there and I don't want to go to seminary. Uh, if that's your posture, then I think some questions you should consider is that, first of all, why not? And second of all, what makes you think that what you have compiled, your understanding of the Bible is enough to minister to people like in this world? Seminary is not just to teach you about theological importances, but the ethics of it. And most importantly, your relationship with other like potential pastors too. You can't go to seminary purely for education, although that is really important, but also you're going to seminary to meet with other people who are also having a strong desire to minister to people in certain manners. Like you have a lot of counselors who go there. You have a lot of deacons and elders who want to go there not to be pastors, but to understand how to minister their church well. You have all these types of people going there. So yeah, like I, I would say, sure, you don't have to go to seminary, but you're just going to have a really hard time trying to be a pastor because you know in this world there's so many self-proclaimed pastors that are teaching the bible but in reality they're really teaching something else so seminary really helps you kind of be in line with the biblical truths and the narratives and ultimately helps you refine your understanding of the gospel that's super insightful for me and i'm sure for anyone else who might be asking or wondering that question do you guys experience a lot of like spiritual warfare during seminary? Like you mentioned, like it's more than just like a place for education, but I feel like in other educational institutions, there's this 
stress and all that stuff but is there kind of that level of added spiritual warfare you know where good work is being done where god's name is being proclaimed there is potentially spiritual warfare so i don't know oh yeah definitely i think for sure like when you go into seminary all your addictions and sins don't magically disappear <laughs> like if you you know in college had a problem with procrastination and you know, gaming addiction, most likely going to go into seminary with those same problems, except now you have to deal with, you know, pursuing pastoral ministry and you have to address like those like spiritual struggles. So that's like a personal aspect of it. And there's also definitely like the outer effects of spiritual warfare. You know, when you start to go to seminary and when you start to do internship at a church, you start to be overwhelmed with all these responsibilities and tasks that you have to do. So you have to steward your time well and poor management of time really not just affects you as a student, but also affects like the people you're interning at, the members that you're trying to minister. If I, if I can be vulnerable, so my first year poor stewarding of time really affected my relationship with like the members of my church at Rosebrook where I wasn't intentional in my relationship with them. Instead of pursuing them and loving them, I was just really selfish with my own time and my own schedules and my own responsibilities that I started to slowly, uh, not directly, but indirectly, like start to neglect them as people. And again, these are not things where you come to realize yourself, but you know, it's through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and also the people the staff members at the church who are observing you and they start to speak into your life. Um, so are you going to have a posture of arrogance and say, those are not true? Or are you going to be humble, be repentant and say, you know what, you're right. Those are things that I really struggle with and I need to repent and I need to turn to the gospel and I need to find ways to reconcile. So there's a lot of spiritual warfare, but I would say the things that I described are pretty common amongst a lot of young pastors. And since when they're revealed, uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to try to hide it? Because the more you hide it, the bigger the sin grows. So those are, I would say, the major spiritual workers. Mm. Yeah, so. and I feel like as pastors or people pursuing um, pastoral ministry, you guys are just under like a much like higher scrutiny, the right word, just like a microscope, you know, people are looking into your lives, like in some way you guys are kind of held to a higher standard because you are expected to shepherd and to lead other people. So I can see why it can suddenly hit you, especially if you've gone through a large chunk of your life, like not addressing some of these sins or some of these struggles. And yeah, it's like, it's not pleasant either when, you know, these sins are called out. So like your immediate reaction is, what the like that's i feel like like there's something inside me like so uh yeah that that's really the hard part of really being humble and just uh like letting people speak into your life and often there are cases when when people do speak into your life sure it might not be true like or it's not totally not true uh, so like your immediate response is to defend yourself. Uh, I forgot who said this, but a real posture of humility is really just taking the 2% of what they're saying about yourself, even if it's not true, and just really applying it for yourself and say, you're right. 
what you're saying is right. So that's like a definite challenge for those of us who really didn't have people speak truth over our lives. So like, I would say if you're not in that position where people are saying difficult things to you, then perhaps you can consider praying for friends or leaders who would like challenge you. So leaders who are able to rejoice with you when you're winning and who grieve when they see you suffer. John, anything to add? Uh, yeah, it's a really interesting question to talk about, you know, spiritual warfare at seminary. And, uh, so I don't think I said it in my intro, but I go to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary down here in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And I did my associate's degree in computer science up in Northern Virginia Community College. And I had gone to George Mason to finish my bachelor's in computer science. And I realized in my first couple of computer science classes that computer science was not for me. So oh, Southeastern was that. gracious enough to transfer in. Uh, you were my, struggling. Yeah, it, it was rough. And so they transferred <laughs> in my associate's degree, gave me two years credit. So I came and I finished my bachelor of science in pastoral ministry down here at the college at Southeastern at our undergraduate program. And then now I'm in the uh, advanced MDiv program for those who have already uh, gone through Southeastern, like I said. So for me, I, I got to live a lot of that on-campus seminary life. And it's actually very interesting because at Southeastern, uh, something that I'm experiencing that I didn't really think about. And also people always ask me, you know, describe what seminary is like or what seminary life is. And I kind of describe, especially like Bible college or undergraduate as a never ending retreat. Like you're bunking and you're spending time with your uh, fellow, you know, brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ. There's always like chapel, two times a week services. There's always like worship services and opportunities to go share the gospel. Uh, going to your classes is basically listening to seminars nonstop. So uh, shameless plug, if the thought of an endless retreat sounds appealing to you, then go check out seminary or even Bible college. Uh, you might be into it. Uh, but something that I, I experienced in Southeastern that I never thought about was the very, very much reality of a seminary bubble. So, uh, for example, we have evangelism classes at, at Southeastern at seminary, and it's very hard to evangelize when everyone on campus is Christian. And so there's this bubble that exists within uh, or around seminaries where it's, like there's so many great churches in the area, especially down here, uh, Wake Forest, North Carolina. It's kind of like the southern uh, American South. And so cultural Christianity is a thing too. Not to say that there's, you can't, it's impossible to find non-Christians, but it's very much different than kind of Northern Virginia or the DMV area where you can walk down the street and probably 95% of the people you pass aren't Christian. Uh, but in, uh, down here, it, it's really hard to escape that. And so, uh, the spiritual warfare, it's, it's, I don't know how to describe it very much in this area. There's like this, this constant kind of warm feeling or, uh, being at seminary, it, it's it, for me personally, it was such an amazing time. Uh, and uh, even when I felt down, like I was sitting in front of my computer and I had to do homework and he was like, you know, write me a reflection on, you know, Psalm 150, Psalm 150 or something. And for me, it was just mind blowing that I could write uh, a reflection on one of the Psalms for a grade and turned it in and then get an A and then get a degree and, and get like be you know I don't know successful or something uh, because of that uh, so for me my experience I think I don't want to detach away from what Joseph was saying about yes the very reality of spiritual warfare in your own life and having to examine yourself and your own sins and your temptations and your struggles is very much real but also just in the area and uh, the overall atmosphere or the mood of a seminary or southeastern, at least for me, 
uh, it was just so warm. It was such an amazing time. It was such a blessing. Uh, and I really did love every single moment of it, every single day of it. It was even when I was procrastinating, like Joseph said, it, it was still such an amazing time for me, like just cranking out 10, 15 page papers. Like it was nothing just because uh, I, it was such a blessing to be able to write about Jesus or to think about Jesus for my for my school. Like that, that was crazy to me. Still is crazy to me. It's like never ending Bible study, like for, forever. But then like, like you said, like getting grades and like getting a degree. And I think that's kind of foreign to a lot of people, at least maybe pre- pre-COVID, I feel like with COVID, so many more things have been normalized because everyone's doing stuff from home. Everyone's pursuing things that they're interested in. But I feel like pre-COVID, it was kind of foreign to some people, at least for me that like, you know, you could do something like that and like still find like so much fulfillment. And I think that's a look into my life and the things that like I prioritize that clearly are a little bit off. So you mentioned like you're on campus, at least John was on campus. Like, are you in like, are you doing in-person classes now or are they like still virtual? Uh, so what Southeastern did for the fall of 2020 is we originally back in the summer, we kind of decided that we were going to the in-person, but uh, because of COVID and everything got a little bit worse. So what we did was uh, if you still wanted to come in person, you could, and they would basically sanitize and maintain social distancing, put everything six feet apart uh, in all the campus classes. They tried to use some of the larger uh, campus classrooms instead of the smaller ones. And so they tried their best to make it possible for people to still come on campus safely, but also they provided a fully online option. So professors had to record everything. So if you didn't feel safe coming out, then you could just stay at home for the entire semester actually, and do everything online if you wanted to. That's convenient. Cause you mentioned like you at first, like you could like bunk with everyone. Obviously you can't do that now, <laughs> yeah, um, but it's cool that you guys can still, some people can still meet safely. Um, and has been, has finding a community or like building that been more difficult with COVID, like just within like your seminary friends or like your churches. For me, after coming out of the undergraduate, the college, uh, especially in there, there's a lot of community. They're really good about encouraging fellowship and you're spending all the time with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So, uh, but coming out of that into the seminary and I also, I did move off campus, 30 minutes off campus. I have four other roommates here who go to a different other churches in the Raleigh, Durham area. Uh, but for me, as I've been out here, community and friends and socializing, personally, maybe less so, but in terms of my church, uh, I, it is kind of regrettable what Corona has done because we did just finish kind of our entire church membership classes and process this past year. So coming into January of 2020, we were kind of riding high and we were very excited to get started. I, I was going to start thinking about reaching out to nearby colleges for maybe campus uh, outreach and opportunities for our church to grow and for our church to reach out to the community around us. But then Corona out of nowhere hit. And so our numbers are the same, if not lesser, because of Corona than they were at the start of the year. So it, it very much is regrettable. But at the same time, thanks be to God for the opportunities that he's given our church to stay together and to grow even during these kinds of times. Yeah. And I know Joseph Rosebrook is a fairly new church plant. So what has that mm -hmm. process been like in terms of maintaining you know, consistency and re reaching out to the community like John was mentioning? Yeah, um, what a time to plan a church. <laughs> um, yeah, we were supposed to launch around September, but because of COVID, a lot of that has been pushed back. That's just it. It's just 
COVID just hinders us from meeting face to face. Zoom worship wasn't really effective either. Either so, the staff and I we were really brainstorming together like the best way to minister to people. But because believe it or not, like like going to church, meeting people face to face, and worshiping God, there's really something supernatural about that. For our fall season,、uh, when the weather was kind of warm, we did park worship. So we went to just a nearby park. And we just did like acoustic rundown of worship and and service. And again, we were social distancing. We were making sure people's temperatures were at the um you know were right. You know, if people were too concerned, they have they had the Zoom option. So we trying our best to bring people in. I, I remember like one time it was raining really hard on Sunday. We were just frantically just trying to find canopies,、uh, these huge tents. Because we didn't want to do it over Zoom again. Like some of us, we were really discouraged before service started, and we're like, "Oh, I feel like there's not going to be that many people showing up today. The weather's so cold, it's raining. Who would bother to like go out of their ways to worship God in the rain?" And that day, we had the biggest turnout, and you know, we were super blown away, encouraged, and also humbled that you know we can do so much, but ultimately,、uh, you know. God's doing like ninety nine percent of the tasks uh, uh, on behalf of us. So, so right now because weather's really cold,、uh, what we transitioned into was a、uh, parking lot service. So through the radio, using the FM transmitter, we just been、uh, meeting together at the parking lot and just serving people that way.、Uh, I mean, there's a lot that our church is doing that's just not only considering the. Church members, but also considering just the people around us who are really affected by COVID. It's encouraging to hear that so many people showed up. I remember seeing on Facebook like that Sunday, like all these photos of people under like the tents and blankets. I'm like, what is going on here?、Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, Rosebrook still met and it was like pouring. And I think it just goes to show, like, you know, first of all, like. God provides even when we feel like we're not doing enough or when things aren't looking, you know, the brightest. But especially during COVID, like I feel like nowadays everyone kind of has their own routine, so people won't do things unless they really want to. You know what I mean? Like contrast to like the beginning of COVID, like March or April, everyone is just like, let me do everything because I have so much time. I'm gonna go to every Bible study. I'm gonna go to every event. I'm gonna go to every. Like conference, but nowadays, like at least what I'm experiencing in like the event planning world, people only attend if they really want to because their routines are set. They're looking for time to detox from the computer. They don't want to go out if it's not safe. So, I feel like that's so encouraging to see like people wanting to come out and you know attend and grow because I feel like at this point in time in the year, like it really means like they're like really serious about it. Yeah, people have definitely gotten comfortable, especially in terms of church chilling, taking their foot off the gas. So, it's a difficult time for churches and pastors for sure. So it's it's so glad to it's so good to hear、uh, like just blessings like that. Yeah. So transitioning from that, do you guys have advice for people who are looking to care for their pastors?、Um, how can we support pastors and other full time ministers like in this time of COVID? What a great question. My Venmo is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this there's so many ways you can just encourage your pastors. If you know people who are going to seminary, who 
or pursuing pastoral ministry or other like maybe counseling ministry you just financially like provide like giving small donations like speaks mountains like no matter how small it is and i guarantee you like they will remember you they they will remember you and say man i remember this person uh really just helped me out with seminary and honestly like that really uh, not only encourages them but it just really builds your relationship with that person as well uh but i think what everyone can do is just be verbally encouraging to your pastors uh because they're just they have a million things in their heads they're ministering to each person individually uh they're trying to provide quality ser- sermon and service um and the last thing they want is um members of the church complaining about small things i mean sure these complaints can be necessary to better the church but everything complaining like pastor did this honestly it weighs weighs them down find ways to message them like go out of your way to say hey here's five dollars for starbucks treat yourself or here here's twenty dollars to netflix why don't you enjoy it with your family again like these are things like pastors they receive they're not going to be like oh okay that's cool but they they it's going to really speak into their hearts because you know those kind of things really go far beyond and, and again there's a thousand ways to really encourage your pastors but at the moment because of covid uh where things are just uncertain and everyone has to be flexible with oh my gosh how are we going to do service this sunday it will be really nice when members re- just say some say something good about what they go through even though it might be bad <laughs> so yeah that's my two cents mm. yeah it's really just insane to think about the impact that you could have as an individual uh because when you support a pastor or when you support someone who's going to a seminary student or something like that you're not only supporting that person but you're indirectly reaching every single person that that individual has committed their lives to ministering to. Uh, And and it blows my mind because there's so many individuals, so many Christians in my past who have generously supported and generously uh, helped me. And I will never, ever forget them, like Joseph said. And also, they come up over and over again in my sermons as I'm teaching about generosity. What does it mean for Christians to steward God's money well? Uh, and everything that I can do now, the very fact that I can graduate with a degree was made possible because some individual Christian decided to be faithful with their money and help support uh, me through seminary. Uh, it, it's it's just mind blowing the amount of impact that you could have. Uh, it's not just you know like twenty dollars, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, but that is going towards countless, hopefully countless individuals being touched and reached for the gospel. Uh, and then more in terms of just a general question of you know how do you care for a pastor? It's, it's really interesting because you know it's only on a podcast like this that we're really able to talk. I don't I don't know what's the English translation of like shiwonage, Joseph, or like we can like we can uh, refreshing invigorating yeah I, I guess so like we don't really have to hold back but think about if you're sitting at church on a sunday and your pastor is, is preaching a message about all right so i want you to take care of me better right i want you to you know buy me food and i want you to care for me and look out for me and you know you would kind of be like okay i thought this message was like supposed to be for us or like towards us you know it's it's something that really doesn't occur 
Uh, and for me personally, as I started uh, youth and EM ministry this just this, for this past year and a half, I'm really trying to set the foundations of uh, my youth and my my EM for uh, because wherever they head next, you know, as they continue on through life, I want them to have that solid Jesus theological foundation. And how do I address this issue of caring for your pastors or caring for your elders or caring for those who are caring for you uh, while not making it sound like, hey, guys, uh, you know, my Venmo is or, hey, guys, you know, I'm hungry. So can you give me some food? Uh, it's, it's very much a, a topic that pastors can't address or might have difficulty addressing directly. Uh, but at the same time, it's something that is so necessary. It just doesn't make any sense if you think about it, where Christians are care called to care for each other. And then only shepherds are supposed to be excluded from that for some reason, right? Uh, like you can't, like you, you, Christians and especially church members are being told every, every Sunday all the time to love each other, love each other. But how often does that extend to loving your pastor? How often does that extend into uh, supporting them or caring for them or giving something and helping them or uh, affirming them verbally, like Joseph said? It really is so impactful because I, I guess speaking from personal experience, what's really on my mind all the time, and maybe other pastors can also agree and attest to this, is the people who are not there. You know, we're always worrying about, uh, oh, Bobby didn't show up to church on Sunday, or, oh, uh, I've been praying for X, X member, but they haven't really responded to anything that the church is putting out there in a while. And so it, it's very much a concern of the, of the people who aren't there or the people who might be falling by the wayside. Uh, and so when the people who are coming alongside faithfully, when they express, you know, hey, uh, Pastor Joseph, Pastor John, that sermon was really good. It was really edifying to me. Like that is, that's some of the best encouragement that I've ever heard. And I, I have a special place in my heart for people who encourage me. More often than not, people just listen and they don't really have any feedback. But to say, hey, that sermon really impacted me or hey, that sermon made me really think a little bit differently. Thank you for that. Uh, there have been times where my youth students have, you know, offered to help me take things to my car, uh, who have who have brought me breakfast sometimes, where youth parents have uh, made me like uh, delicious Korean snacks. Uh, shout out to my awesome church. If you guys are listening, what's up, guys? I'm talking about you. I'm spilling all the beans about you. Uh, but all of those little things, uh, and they might, not, they might not even be little because in, in the moment, those individuals might have had to put considerable effort into caring for me or for caring for their pastor, but they make such a big difference. They make such a big difference. Uh, and last thing I'll say is I think I was wisely told before, uh, don't have expectations, but have hopes. You know, so I, if you have expectations, then you're going to be disappointed a lot. So I don't expect for my church to care for me that much, but I can hope for my church to care for me. So I'm not in this constant state of like, oh man, I wish my church would care for me better. And I get all bitter and I'm like, oh, like they don't know what they're doing. Uh, but on the other hand, when they do show up with that support or where they, when they do show up with the affirmation or when they do show up with that love, it's, it blows me away. Uh, because it's such an amazing feeling and it, and it just gives me uh, that extra push, I guess, the, the extra legs to stand on to keep trying, uh, even especially during these hard times like Corona, right, or whatever you might, whatever else the church or the ministry team might be going through at the time. There's like a resonating theme between the two things that you guys just shared. And I feel like I can kind of summarize it by just saying, like, look at your pastors as people instead of just these figures that are leading the church. I think when you distance yourself from, you know, where you're sitting or where you're watching and listening to 
who's talking to you or talking at you, however you perceive it, right? That compassion disappears. You don't have that connection, that relationship with that person where you're able to look at them, care for them, care about them. It becomes sort of like, you're talking about expectations, John. Sometimes the congregation is just expecting, all right, so-and-so is going to preach and then that's their job and then that's that. You know, there's, there isn't this like, you know, this human aspect to it sometimes, um, which I feel like there should be more considering how much pastors are vulnerable, how human they do seem. Maybe it goes to show like the comfort level that we're all kind of at with our faith, like we were talking about before. But yeah, I feel like that wraps up things pretty well. Usually at the end of a podcast, I will kind of break the ice and we'll go into a would you rather question. So I have a list of a hundred random questions here. Do one of you guys want to pick a number and then I'll ask it. Wow, we're, we're finished already. It's been like 40 yeah. minutes. Yeah, maybe we can do maybe we can do part two, but like, I guess we'll just leave it at that. And maybe if, you know, our listeners, if your listeners, excuse me, not our listeners, uh, if your listeners want more of it, then sure, we'll speak more. Because like, honestly, why are you going to seminary? Why do you even want to be a pastor? Because if you're going to seminary and want to be a pastor because, oh, I just want to serve the church, then I think you have a very... I'm kindly saying this, but I think you have a very shallow view of what pastoral ministry is. Because what do pastors do? They they preach the gospel. That's their job. Um, and if you don't have a passion or if you don't have like the desire to share the gospel, then um, maybe you should consider, uh, am I really fit to be a pastor? So I picked number. Uh, <laughs> I picked number uh 29 29 would you rather have x-ray vision or magnified hearing what the <laughs> joseph you picked the weirdest one i don't do want either of it <laughs> i'm like both sound pretty useless i can't think of like <laughs> 92 uh, 92 joseph's, joseph's All right. good transition <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather be given a lifetime supply of delicious food or books? I mean, I'm probably going to disappoint every pastor uh, who's ever lived, but I'm going with food, hands down. <laughs> no, no, John. Like, I'm sh you, know, you know what? I'm sure pastors will also oh. agree with you. Yeah, food. food. Hands down. Food, man. Like, you know, books, you know, sure, whatever. <laughs> I have enough books. I don't have enough food. Yeah, like, you know, honestly... The books, sure, you could have the Bible, but you know, you might just get the essential ones according to your denomination, <laughs> and that's and that's it. <laughs> like you don't need any more books. <laughs> but food, mm. the key is lifetime supply. So if you like wanted a book later on, you could just buy it, but you don't need like a lifetime supply of books. But everyone needs a lifetime supply of food. You're gonna that's need true. food until you die. So that's right. Yeah, it's delicious. We frequently food. turn to food more than we turn to books. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Well, that wraps up our podcast. Thanks guys for coming. We can definitely do part two and dive into some of these other nuances with seminary and pastoring. So, yeah. Thanks for having us, Crystal. Thanks it was for a, asking it was us a really again. Good time. Of yeah. Seeing you too, John. What, Joseph? So, uh, uh, yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Hamam Burlington Church. Shout out to... Uh, University of Maryland. <laughs> Why? Why? KCM. What?
they're the first church. That's our their first co- campus ministry that asked me to speak with them. So oh, they're the best campus ministry. Sorry, true, ICF. True. Yeah, let's go Terps. <laughs> I remember you came and you were like, "I'm Pastor John." I was like, "Who?" <laughs> 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 yeah, and I remember you told me you. I was like, "How was it?" And you were like, "You preach like you talk," and I'm like, "I don't know what that means, but okay, Crystal." <laughs> um, I can go down the list. Shout out to Father's Heart. Shout out. You can't shout out everyone, John. That's gonna take like. <laughs> I like to thank my mom. <laughs> I like to thank my parents. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Crystal. Uh, thank you, John. It was good catching up with you guys. Uh, if any listeners want to, uh, consider our church plants. Uh, Rosebrook Presbyterian Church. We're located at North Podesta. So, if any Maryland listeners just really are, you know, curious about our church, you can email me uh, at joseph at rosebrook Again, that's joseph at rosebrook So he got that rose at Rosebrook. <laughs> that's a great church. Great church. Go there. <laughs> Great people, great staff. I can say this even as a Baptist, but great, great <laughs> church. Joseph, I thought you were going to say, if you have any further questions or anything, you could reach out to either of us, like personally, but then you plug oh. your church. And Wait, I was John, like, you can yeah. plug. You could have done it yourself. Too. <laughs> Wait, John, go. Yeah, hey guys, if any of you guys are in the uh, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina area or in the Western, most likely you none of you are in this area and it's very different than Joseph Plug in the Maryland area. It's not true. We have listeners from all sorts of states and countries. Oh, wow. We're a worldwide yeah, come, come visit our church. I'm on Burlington Church. It's in Burlington, Graham area. Uh, and say that you came because you listened to Sky Candid and we'll buy you cookout oh i want cookout oh yeah you do <laughs> no once COVID lifted let's let's go eat and i, I miss eating with people <laughs> okay well thanks guys for listening to the podcast um if you have not already make sure that you follow and you subscribe on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts um if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, um, consider leaving a nice review and rating so that more people can be able to listen to the podcast. And yeah, until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys.